Hi, guys. Welcome back to Into the Light, a different life story, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another beautiful, beautiful day for an interview, and I've got Jeanette Goron with me. Uh, Jeanette is the founder of Tribe Sober. Uh, so she's a fellow traveler who has explored many empty bottles, just like me. And um, I, we, let's not start a competition. I think we both have got our records that we rather keep to ourselves. <laughs> but needless to say, uh, Jeanette has gone through an interesting lifetime. And nowadays she is living a life like me that is so full of, full of energy and power and laser-like sharpness that, you know, it is not holding her back. And that's what she does in Tribe Sober uh, with many thousands of people following her adventures and her advice. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to have Shannon with me. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Stephen. It's a delight to talk to you. Oh, thank you very much. And indeed, I've had the pleasure other way around to be on your show. So we'll talk about that and how people can uh, can hear more from you a bit later in the show. Okay. Now, when you were a little girl, now you typically don't wake up when you're eight one day and you say, you know what, mummy, I think I will become an influencer. I will tell people <laughs> how to live a sober life. Nah. What did you want to be when you when you were a little kid? Yeah, that's quite an interesting question, Stefan. I actually wanted to be a journalist. Excellent. And uh, I did get into the BBC and I worked in the BBC in my 20s. And then I kind of got sidetracked and went more corporates as a, I trained as an HR person. So I was an HR director in, in the art world actually for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I love those BBC days. And when I th I was thinking about this the other day, um, my life now it's it's getting back towards being a journalist, you know, because <laughs> podcasting, I'm interviewing people yeah. all the time. Yeah. I love writing, you know, I write at least two or three mailers a week that, that go out to our tribe. Yeah. So, and I'm also, I trained as a coach when I was in HR. So now I've retrained as a recovery coach. So that's one of the beautiful things at this stage of my life, because I feel like all the skills that I've picked up throughout my life, I'm now using for a much better purpose, actually, to, to really help people to recreate their lives. Exactly. So it's, it's all good. But yeah, when I was a, a little girl, I certainly didn't say I want to be an alcoholic when I grew up. <laughs> Having said that, I mean, how was life at home? I mean, did your parents enjoy alcohol? Not really. I, I was thinking about that the other day and I was I was talking, I think, on a radio program mm. about how readily available alcohol is these days, whether mm. it's in the UK where you just pick it up in the supermarket mm. or here in South Africa, liquor stores everywhere. And certainly in my, when I was kind of married and doing the family thing, I would always pick up lots of wines to drink with our dinner every evening, a mm. bottle of Jack Daniels for a nice shop when we got home from mm. work, that kind of thing. But my parents, you know, they would 
if it was a special occasion, maybe a birthday or someone was coming round that they hadn't seen for ages, they might go mad and go out and buy a bottle of wine. <laughs> it was a real treat. You know, it was like an occasional treat. They weren't oh, kind of mainlining it like I was. So I can't blame them for anything. I mean, okay. I didn't have a great relationship with my mother. I must admit, maybe that's, you know, that didn't help. But um, no, they, they certainly weren't drinkers. Excellent. And were you a good girl at home or were you a bit more than naughty kind of girl? Well, I was okay until I got to about 13 or 14. And then to my horror, uh, my mother had a second child. Oh. So suddenly a little brother in the house, you know, uh -huh. screaming like babies do. And I was trying to study for my exams and, and coping with that. And, you know, adolescence, I remember it, it was difficult. So I kind of went off the rails really after that. I mean, mm. I just about passed my exams and hung in there, but um, I was going out a lot and, mm. and drinking, you know, but mm. not, not crazily drinking now and again, but I loved music mm. And uh, I grew up in Manchester and there was a oh. fantastic club scene up there. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> and I used to, used to go to clubs, you know, I'd tell my, my mum that I was going to stay with a girlfriend. <laughs> she's, she's not alive anymore, so she won't hear this and get cross. But I would tell her that I was going to stay with a girlfriend and then I would go and go to an all-nighter, you know, in a club. And I wasn't taking drugs or drinking particularly, but I was I was just dancing. I just loved, you know, it was all the soul scene, like Marvin Gaye and the Temptations. Oh, cool, and, cool. But that uh, was just my my time, and, and I just loved uh, all that. Uh, and so that, that was my early kind of teenage years. And then later on when I was – so I, I passed my exams, and then when I was 18 <laughs> – Uh, I wanted to go to France as an au pair girl. So I went to France and I wanted to, you know, become fluent. So I went there. I was supposed to go for three months and then I was supposed to come back to England and go to university. <laughs> But I was having such a ball in the south of France. I didn't come back, which didn't help my relationship with my mom at all. Uh, but, yeah, I stayed there and I just Where were you? again off the rails a bit. Joanne Le Pen. <laughs> Don't Beautiful. know if you know that. Joanne Le Pen on team can, you know. Yeah, yeah it Beautiful. was great. So oh. I stayed down there for a few years. But, yeah. uh, you know, I did perfect my French. I did achieve something. And, in fact, I would have uh, stayed there. But uh, I'm, I'm so old that in those days we weren't allowed to work in France. You know, we weren't even in the common market, as we called oh, it right, then. So right. I couldn't get a good job. You know, I was either working in a bar or in a restaurant and I was a bit fed up of that I knew I had more in me than that so so I kind of abandoned that with great sadness and I went to London then to share a flat with some friends I knew and then I, I managed to get my job at the BBC so then I had a much more fulfilling career but not such a good social life. <laughs> well, having said that, I mean, in that would have been, what, 80s that we are talking about now? Mm. Thereabouts. Um, I mean, that was still a very, very wet business uh, environment. I mean, you oh, would yes. go lunchtime, uh, you wouldn't, well, you might eat something, but uh, there would be a pint or two somewhere thrown in there, and that would be just for starters. And then you go back to work, and then in the evening you go yeah, back to... Yeah, in fact... <laughs> 
I remember being at the BBC and kind of getting on with my own business, uh, working hard and doing well. But then one of my bosses said to me one day, he said, we don't see you in the club very often, Janet. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I just got too much to do. Yeah. And he said, no, you, you must come down to the club of mm -hmm. an evening because it's important for networking and all that. Exactly. So I thought, well, you know, I'd better do that. It was, it was in my appraisal, I think they told me that. So yep. I started going to the club and obviously it was all about drinking. Mm, of course. And gradually, you know, I just got more and more into my drinking. And I did have a serious wake-up call when I was 25. I woke up in hospital one morning and I had no idea why I was there, where I was, what I was doing there. Just knew that I felt terrible. And apparently I'd got so drunk the evening before in my own apartment with my flatmates and some friends, but I'd got so drunk and I'd announced that I was going to bed at about midnight. And then, you know, they came up a little bit later and they realized I was still in the bathroom and I locked the door and I was on kind of automatic pilot, you know, like, like you do. So I I'd had my bath, which I always did before I went to bed and I was just lying there and, they, uh, they they panicked, they realised I was in the bath, they couldn't get any sense out of me. So they, they called the fire brigade, <laughs> who knocked the door down, and, you know, there I was under the water, so I would have drowned <laughs> if they hadn't rescued me. But you know what, the next day when, when I got out of hospital, I felt a bit sheepish, but, but rather than think, oh dear, you know, I better fix this problem, I turned it into a story. What a legend, you know, and everyone said, oh, did you hear about Janet and her bath? You know, what an idiot. And it was just a funny story. So that was a wake up call I totally ignored. But that's what we do as alcoholics, isn't it? We are, we are turning reality around. It, it stares us in the face. It kicks us in the balls. And what do we do? We make a cool story out of it. And it's uh, again and again and again. I mean, how many of these stories did start with, you know, hold my beer kind of a thing? And it is, uh, and I'm torn myself there because hell, I could tell you stories, but at the same token, I have to say, bloody hell, this is, how can you glorify something like that? Yeah. Yet, yet, there were some damn good times there that mm -hmm. were alcohol, Soaked, yes, but we had some damn good times, okay? As a young man, do I really want to take all of that away uh, and negating it? No, this was what it was. This made us the people who we are now. Yeah. And when you're young in your 20s and early 30s, you you take it on the chin and, and you roll with the punches, things happen, but somehow you seem to be able to survive on two hours sleep and then get back to work and sort of, you know, get on with it and then get on with the drinking the next day. Um, so was it a bit like that with you as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you, I, I don't regret a moment really because it's brought me to the, the place where I am now and mm. I think it's all part of, of who we are. And yeah, my, my drinking was in my 20s and 30s, apart from that kind of blip and maybe a couple of other less serious ones, but also drinking to blackout. It was kind of manageable in my 20s and my 30s. It was very much a social thing. Mm. Although when I was married, my husband, surprise, surprise, the first one, not the French one, he was also a drinker. So, um, you know, we'd always have a bottle of wine in the evening and always have a shot of Jack Daniels. It was, And we'd have dinner parties that would go on till 3 a.m., etc. 
But that was normalised. All our friends were exactly the same, never thought twice about it. Exactly. But for me, the, the problem drinking really started as I got a bit older, more into my 40s and 50s, because then it switched from something social to self-medication, because I would get home from work. You know, I was doing always very functioning alcoholic, doing well at work. I'd come home, and the first thing I would do is open a bottle of wine, you know, because I would just have to take relax, take away the stress, so with that, what I know now, and I look back, I realized that was the, the kind of danger point, you know, drinking alone, drinking to relieve stress. That's when it's, it's moving into a darker place, I think. You took the words out of my mouth and out of my soul, because that's exactly what occurred to me. And as you say, quite rightly, there was a time and a place where all that is normalized. Uh, the 80s, 90s, most definitely. And whilst maybe things have changed in the 2000s and now in the last decade, um, it's still there. It's not this long ago that I worked in a department where essentially five o'clock, typically theaters would stop working. By 5.30, you would struggle to find anyone who hasn't had two glasses of wine because no one wanted to be called in for any kind of emergency work uh, because, you know, for reasons, political reasons whatsoever. And because when you were not on call, now, thank you, that is my time now. And the wine got opened and there you go. So there were these kind of reasons. There was the, the peer pressure there to be a sociable host, to actually, to, to, to throw a party without alcohol was absolutely impossible for me to imagine. It is, it's just absolutely nuts. And that's the, my book, Steps to Sobriety. I, I've got a little story in there called The Heroin Free Wedding. And it goes somewhere along the lines of, of uh, a young woman standing on, on and washing up there and her, her mother is there. And she, the young woman says, hey, look, uh, mom, can we talk wedding, you know, later in the year? And she said, yeah, yeah, let's talk wedding. And the, the young woman says, look, I thought long and hard about it, but is it okay that we have a heroin-free wedding? And mom nearly drops a plate and says, what the hell are you talking about? Are, are you doing drugs? My God, darling, what's going on? You said, no, 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 it's just, I, I just wanted to agree with you. And of course, of course we do a heroin-free, drug-free wedding because there's, there's, you know, there's last year alone, 15,000 beautiful souls have been lost to heroin. No, of course, no drugs on your wedding. Oh, the young woman says, God, I'm so pleased that you say that. And since we're on the topic, I thought, look, we should also do an alcohol-free wedding. And mom again nearly drops a plate and says, what? You can't do that. You're nuts. And the daughter says, well, actually, you know, last year, 83,000 beautiful souls were lost to alcohol. Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Here we are. How has our society engineered our thinking, our beliefs, our acceptance, what is supposed to be normal? and completely forgot about the problems that we're facing due to alcohol. It's yeah. absolutely nuts. Yeah, yeah. We, we always say alcohol is the only drug that you have to justify not taking. <laughs> Isn't it? 
Yeah, it's a <laughs> drug. And um, the, the normalization thing, I mean, anybody that's tried to give up drinking, even for a short time, they'll know how difficult it is. You know, people say, what, are you crazy? But if you said, oh, I've stopped shooting up heroin, you know, they say, oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Or I've stopped smoking even, people congratulate you. But stopping drinking, oh, no, that's a no-no. Because we're right. shining a light on their behavior. It's as simple as that. And it's really, really hard, and we need to to actually bring that out, spell it out, because most people don't look into social engineering. They don't look into demagogy, uh, into manipulation. After all, there is such a huge, powerful industry out there that is changing our minds around, that is working yeah. there for us to buy more, to drink more. And if you're an alcoholic, that's really your problem because the bottle industry, the wine industry, the liquor industry, they're saying, no, 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 no. We recommend responsible drinking. <laughs> so therefore, if you have a problem, that's your problem. Okay. Exactly. Because exactly. One of my Me little too. pet hates. Um, yeah. Because I believed in that. I believed in that. I, I, uh, I felt good. And, and it's just... It's yeah. weird. Well, we want confirmation bias, don't we? We want Absolutely. to. We want people confirming that yes, it's mm. fun. You know, when I was a drinker, my Facebook feed would be full of all these memes. You know, like you, exactly. you're not drinking alone if the dogs at home. You know, this <laughs> kind of thing. And I thought it was really funny. You know, <laughs> I would make my own memes, and all my friends would go like, 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 uh, because you know they they were all like me. Right. But yeah, the combination of the hugely powerful liquor industry. And marketing, I mean, it's a double whammy, isn't it? We're just surrounded by it. I think it's it's getting worse because you, you can't switch on a movie or a TV program and, you know, the, and it's, it's subliminal, isn't it? It just, you know, gets into your thoughts. So the combination of that plus the, um, the social pressure, it's, it's hard to escape. You know, I understand why, why we got trapped and other people get trapped. Mm. And what, what I really hate, you know, you've had your soapbox <laughs> moment. What okay, yes. I hate the most is the feminization of alcohol. Oh, I love know, it. I hate the way that the wine industry target us women uh, ruthlessly, uh, you know. Uh, all these hotshot executives on TV with their massive glasses of wine. It's like, yeah, right, uh, you know, you're a senior partner in a law firm. You're not going to be drinking like that and performing the next day. So, yeah, the feminization. I noticed, you know, Johnny Walker, the whiskey, they brought out a new whiskey called Jane Walker. <laughs> so annoying. And it's then they they put it over as empowerments, you know, and it's not empowerment. And I, I feel like saying we're not killing ourselves fast enough with wine. You want us on the hard stuff now. Uh -huh. oh, it it infuriates you, me. Is it in South Africa the same, the pinkification? Oh. So yeah, if yeah. you go into a bottle shop, suddenly there's the pink corner and everything is sort of nicely slim. Mm -hmm. All the cans are actually smaller uh, yeah. and they're slimmer. And therefore, you think, ah, if I just drink a little bit less, therefore, um, you know, it's healthier for me. In reality, it's proven that these little bottles make it much more likely that you drink more. Um, so yeah. again, psychology left, right and center. Yeah, so what really gets me is Mother's Day. I mean, we, we have Mother's Day here in South Africa on Sunday and all over the shops. And I'm just not, not just talking about liquor stores. I'm talking about 
Woolworths, you know, um, food stores, big stands saying, treat your mother this this day, give her some bubbly, give her some wine. So we, we saw uh, one, one of our tribe, actually, she spotted a headline about a year ago for Mother's Day last year, and it said, less wine, more wine. And it spelt the first wine with an H. So the message there was stop your mother whining and moaning, pour some wine down her. So that really got us going. So we have an activist in our tribe. So she tweeted and she wrote to the managing director of this company. And in fact, we got a public apology. So we were very happy with that. So now we we do call out people when we see outrageous things. And we've been going after a magazine called Woman's Health, oh, which yes. is global oh, for yes. years. Yes. And they're, they're outrageous. You know, they put things like the champagne diet and uh-huh. red wine is good for your guts. And, I know. You know. To be honest, if you're a young woman and you're drinking a bit much, you love these articles. You just oh, pounce on them. So <laughs> it's, it's outrageous, the lies, because, of course, it's not only the straight marketing. Of course, the alcohol... Um, industry pays journalists, you know, to say red wine is good for you. And I think until we really ban alcohol advertising, we won't really get the truth in the media. Mm. Because I was talking to a lady from Cosmopolitan a while ago, the magazine, and uh, she said, oh, I'd love to write about what you're doing. It's really interesting. And I said, oh, go ahead. And she said, well, I can't because 70% of our revenue comes from alcohol <laughs> advertising. She said, I'll never get it past the editor. Excellent. So, you know, See, I so didn't in, know that. Yeah. In these magazines, you know, the, the young women, because they like to get them young, you see, and then sure. they've got a lifetime client. Oh, <laughs> oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. And no, 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 not at all. Not at all. That is the passion I want to see because <laughs> that is then the truth comes out. And that is what we need to do. Let's actually stop beating around the bush and actually call it for what it is. There is a huge you remember, amount of. Sorry. You ladies first. If you remember cigarettes they used to have doctors advertising cigarettes i don't know if you're old enough to remember that but there was a doctor in a white coat and they say cool as a mountain stream Mm. and that nonsense went on and i used to smoke my head off in my 20s I, i never knew it was dangerous or anything and gradually the message got out there and once they banned cigarette advertising then we started seeing in the media cigarettes equal lung cancer mm. and then people stopped you know and of course the smoking culture is is quite different now and you have to kind of go out and stand on a cold street and, and smoke if you want to mm. so um you know maybe alcohol eventually will will go that way but once once alcohol advertising is banned, then we're going to see mm-hmm. in the press alcohol is linked to seven different types of cancer mm-hmm. and sixty other diseases. You know, the the ugly truth will be in the public domain, which I don't think it is yeah. these days. Mm. I think, I let me put it like that: the alcohol industry is so much cleverer than that. 
So they do not necessarily need to advertise. The way it works is you have that subliminal means so that people do not recognize that they're being targeted and advertised. So for example, the, if, you watch pri, uh, if you watch Prime television or if you watch um, Lightbox, if you watch these kind of things, Netflix, you might find that actually uh, Netflix, the heroes, all of them, regardless in which kind of genre they are, uh, they all like the same alcohol, seemingly, which alcohol is then not found anywhere else in another broadcaster, which when the other broadcaster heroes clearly prefer a very different alcohol. Funny that is, isn't it? Mm. So, and that is, and there was a nice study by the, by, uh, the UK Institute for uh, addiction studies and they were basically watching telly until their eyes broke and they were basically making notes um, on the most watched kind of episodes most watched series how often does alcohol is alcohol being consumed and they found every three and a half minutes alcohol mm. is there yeah. positioned drinking and that is yeah. throughout the genres so yeah, yeah. this is this is exactly how the message is being relayed across. Mm -hmm. And so yes, we are being targeted left, right, and center. Yeah, and, and it's quite blatant sometimes. I was watching Ray Donovan the other night. I don't know if you know that program, mm -hmm. but Ray, he's a bit of a fixer for celebrities and you know, he has a very stressful job kind of shooting people and all. So he's he's always drinking his scotch. Um, and then you, you get to the break, and there's a break every 10 minutes, and it says oh, Ray Donovan sponsored by Jameson. Uh, 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 <laughs> As, in case you haven't got the message. <laughs> We're like, um, okay, we get it. <laughs> but this other thing, so we are working against an incredibly powerful industry. And there are these, there is a drinking culture, certainly in the UK, in South Africa, I believe it is pretty much the, uh, very similar. Um, there is uh, the expat community, wherever you go, uh, is typically mm -hmm. very wet. Um, so things are changing though a little bit and the alcohol industry doesn't like it because the millennials and the most recent uh, Gen Z, um, they are actually no longer so keen getting plastered. And that's a bit of a trouble for the, the industry. So what have they done? What is the last five years? What is the biggest rising uh, component of alcohol? Oh, Any idea? No, 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 no. Alka seltzer, uh, heavy, no, not alka seltzer, hard seltzer. Hard seltzer oh, yes, yeah. is basically water. I mean, how much cheaper can you make it? You take clear alcohol, you take water, mix it together, put some drops of whatever taste in there. Ta -da! Here you have got uh, carb, uh, low carb drinks that can get you blasted, you can go to the gym and then have a hot seltzer because you have just lifted 200 pounds and farted into your pants. Yes, that's what a real man does. Um, and it's nuts, 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 nuts. But that is so that the alcohol industry is coming up with new tricks. Um, LGBTQ plus A, I don't know what the, the most current up-to-date uh, version of it is. Um, Changes a lot. A little bit, unfortunately, um, but 
ultimately, there is more and more young people are coming out uh, and are saying, well, actually, I'm, I'm not really binary. I'm, I'm somewhere in between. And there's nothing wrong with that. What does the alcohol industry do? They target specifically LGBT uh, 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 people because they know by actually streamlining their advertisement towards that group. Well, that's at the moment where uh, a lot of focus is on. So therefore, new target. Now let's go um, with with whatever it is, uh, the rainbow colors or whatever you put on there to actually say, this is a drink, we support LGBT and bang. Yeah. That's how you increase sales. So it's actually yeah. when you look from the outside in, when you actually observe what is happening in response to changing markets, it bloody makes your toe, toenails curl, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I think also, you know, I, uh, the people I work with, I try to help them see through the BS, you know, of the liquor industry, because I believe once you can see through it, then the glamour kind of fades away a little bit. You realize how you're being manipulated and you think, I'm smarter than that. I'm not falling for this. <laughs> and then that helps you with your resetting your beliefs, which you have to do, I think, if you're going to stop drinking. But Janet, that is that is the reason that uh, groups like yours, the Tribe Sober, is so important because you basically ditch your old friends, quotation mark, um, and you actually surround yourself with new people, people who have been in the dark places that you have been and who now have managed to turn their life around or are in the process of doing so. One way or the other, you need to have role models. And if you suddenly surround yourself in, in, a, in a private Facebook group uh, with people like that, wow, you get that yeah. feedback. It's basically like a meeting, like an AA meeting, mm -hmm. uh, just in a, different, in a different setup, so to speak, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because um, it can be a very lonely place when you realize that you've got a problem and you start thinking, why can't I drink like everybody else? You know, what is wrong with me? Why do I have to have six glasses of wine? Why can't I just have one? So until you find other people that understand you, it's, it's quite lonely and hard. So we find that, you know, the connection, I always say connection is the opposite of addiction. The connection is, is huge because we've got a lovely tribe now of, because we've been going five years, we've got people that have got sober with us, but rather than drifting off into the sunset, they stick around because they've made friends and they see new people coming in all the time. And now we, we pair people up. We have a sober buddy, you know, for every new person that joins. And it just works kind of organically. And we, we have really deep conversations you know we we have a zoom cafe every saturday afternoon as well as a constant whatsapp group and a website nice. forum and there's such amazing conversations going on there and it always makes me think of i think when we start drinking really we just want to connect don't we we want to be sociable but that drunken connection, I mean, what is it? It's just repeating the same old stories all the time. And it's its almost <laughs> like a performance, isn't it? We don't really listen when we're drinking. Exactly. So this exactly. that we have in Tribe Sober, that for me is true connection. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. Oh, how beautiful is that? What did it take for you to come to the point that you said enough is enough? Was there one one thing that happened or was it basically a, a sequence of events 
that yeah, led I, you? I did have a, a rock bottom, but when, when I look back and try to tell my story now, I divide it into three wake-up calls. First two that I ignored. The first wake-up call I, I told you about, the hospital, turned into a funny story. Uh, the second wake-up call wasn't quite so funny because I, I got breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So I went through mastectomy, chemotherapy, all that. Mm -hmm. And I was in my 50s by then, and I kind of knew that, back in my mind, that um, there was a link between breast cancer and all my heavy drinking, but, you know, tried to, tried to push it away. Um, there wasn't that much in the press. I mean, these days you see more about that link, but mm -hmm. back then not so much. So I, I just carried on in denial, and I ended up feeling sorry for myself. You know, I thought, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well have a few drinks kind of thing. So I carried on drinking. I think I, I did switch from white to red wine because I'd read that red wine is good for you, of course, probably in <laughs> Women's Health magazine. Exactly. So I carried on, and then... But really, I spent about 10 years in the moderation trap, as I call it, because I just could not imagine life without alcohol. I mean, how dull would it be, you know, mm. this dark, dreary place? I didn't want to be there. So I thought, well, I'm a very strong person. I always achieve what I want. So let me learn to control this thing. So I looked up the low risk limits, which are a bottle and a half of wine a week. I mean, I was obviously putting away that in an evening. So I tried, you know, and I had a little diary. I would write down all my units and, and I could manage to white knuckle it for maybe two weeks and then the wheels would come off and I'd drink till I blacked out. So I was trapped in this horrible place for years because I just couldn't imagine life without it. But now looking back, I know that it's much, much easier to just ditch the bloody stuff. You know, it's an addictive drug. So ditch it and then, you know, get on with your life and, and create a life you don't want to escape from. So, yeah, the second wake up call was my breast cancer. And then finally, I started having more and more blackouts, you know, which were scary things. Uh, but. My blackouts tended to be the kind where you couldn't quite remember the end of the evening and kind of wake up thinking, oh, have I still got my handbag, that kind of blackout. But one day I had like a walking, talking blackout and that really frightened me because I was away with some friends. There were about 10 of us in a house. We'd rented a house for a weekend you know, in a beautiful spot. And they were mostly boozers, apart from my sensible husband, the moderator. But we were all drinking, you know, and we had um, bubbly for breakfast on the Saturday and we just kind of carried on. And on Sunday, I can't remember anything of Saturday, really. Sunday morning, woke up feeling dreadful, but, you know, stiff upper lip, British, pretending I was absolutely fine. So we sat having big breakfast outside on the terrace. And I said in my little chirpy voice, oh, why don't we walk to the next village? Because I heard there's an amazing house there that maybe we can rent next time. And there was this kind of hush over the breakfast table. And they said, well, Janet, we walked there yesterday and you were with us and you were walking and you were talking and you seemed completely normal. And I could not remember a thing. And that really frightened me. Because, you know, as you're getting older, you think, oh, my brain, <laughs> you know, Ooh. destroying your body is one thing. But when it starts on your brain, Ooh, so yeah. that frightened me and I googled it and it said uh, you, you've probably got a more medical explanation but it said something like these kind of blackouts it, it's not that you forget stuff but your brain is so soaked in alcohol it can't actually make the memories in the first place mm. and that really scared me for some reason I thought mm. well, what am I doing to myself mm. so 
the next day I woke up and I said to my husband, that's it, I am done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done with alcohol. And, and to be fair wow. to him, he, he didn't laugh and say, oh, I've heard that before, because he hadn't. He said, oh, you always used to say you were going to cut down. I've never heard you say you're going to stop before. And that moment, I mean, obviously after that, I had to work out how on earth I was going to do this. But that was the moment when everything changed for me, really. I thought, I'm just destroying myself. It's got to stop. Wow. How beautiful that you had that insight. Um, I certainly had insights like that, but the voice of the alcohol was stronger. I just kept going and I needed the the love and the help of my wife to finally break through and and seek the help of, of some specialists to take my head off my shoulders and, and shake it a bit around and then screw it back on the right way. Now, yeah. the, did you get, did you end up in a withdrawal? Did, how did your body respond when you did, when you did not get the alcohol? I, I remember feeling very low and depressed and mm. anxious, but I, I didn't have, um, I didn't get the shakes or anything. Mm. But what I, I did was I, I trotted along to AA, you know, like mm. one does, I didn't know what, what else to do. But I couldn't find the right meeting. You know, it was mostly men and they, they seemed to be much further down the line than I was. You know, they were mm. drinking in the morning and drinking spirits all day. And, you know, I was still basically on my one and a half bottles of wine a night. You know, a classy mm. alcoholic, not like them. So <laughs> I would kind of come out of there and I would have thoughts like, well, maybe I'm not that bad because I don't drink in the mornings. Oh. But I I knew that I was and I had to do something. But I believe that you have to find your people, you know, and I Mm. couldn't find my people with these uh, older Mm. men that were, you know, drinking awful lot. And they'd kind of lost their houses and their Mm. wives. And it was really sad and depressing. Mm. So what I did was um, carried on looking on the Internet and I found a workshop in London, which Mm. is where I'm from. So um, it was just a one-day workshop, so I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm due home soon, so I'll check this thing out. And nice. I went, and, and and it worked for me, which is amazing. And why it worked was there were people there like me, you know, there were women with good jobs, mm. drinking a bottle of wine a night, and, mm. you know, we all connected very well. And the lady that was running it gave us a few tools, a few tips, but basically it was that connection and we all swapped numbers and we had a little group Nice. and I got back nice. to South Africa and, and, and I did it with their help. And then after about six months of sobriety, I thought, well, I've got 25 years experience in training and development, coaching, that sort of thing. Why mm. don't I create my own workshop? Beautiful. And I did. And it was sold out. And then I did another one and that was sold out. And, and now, of course, with the pandemic, we do them on Zoom and mm. we have people from all over the world. So it's uh, it's great. How beautiful is that? How beautiful. <laughs> and that's that's the one thing. So whilst we are fighting against uh, an industry that is very powerful, so can be human connection. And so can be right now the power of Zoom, the power of other means of connecting, uh, that things that, that have not been around in that to that degree two years ago. Uh, who would have known about Zoom, you know, yeah. unless unless you were uh, someone who is uh, constantly doing big business overseas? Yeah. So now yeah. we are we are blessed if we yeah. just accept that there might actually be two facts happening: a 
what you're doing is probably not so clever, um, i.e. you are in trouble, and that there is actually help out there that you're willing to take it. Yeah, there, there's so much help stuff. And because of the internet now, you know, there's dozens of ways to get sober. So there's got to be a way for everybody. It's just Absolutely. finding your people. So my advice would be, you know, keep trying until you find your people and then stick with them. Absolutely. Exactly. And to stay with them implies that you take action, that you actually oh, yeah. are there, yes. that you work it. Because it's, yeah. it's one of these insidious things. The moment you stop working on your recovery, you start working on your relapse. Because that's yeah. what we do, guys. Let's not be silly. Yeah. This is our brain. Oh, it just imagines. Wouldn't it be nice to have a nice glass of wine? And you see the condensation running on the outside of this crystal glass. And you just think... Where the heck did that thought come from? I'm seven years sober. What the heck? Or it might be six months sober. It doesn't matter. Your brain comes up with that cool little picture. And it will tell you, look, today was a really good day. You need to celebrate. Uh, today was not a good day. Oh, come on. Have a drink and you will feel better. This kind of crap is, what is this brain doing? But that's what, uh, what we are. We are alcoholics yeah. and we will remain alcoholics until someone puts us six feet under. And I think that is, if we can just accept that, then we are actually on the forefront, no longer on the back foot. But I think it's also important to recognize that um, not only do we have to stop drinking, but then we have to learn to thrive in our mm. alcohol-free life. We can't just remove alcohol and carry on doing exactly the same. We Thank have you. to discover you know what gives us a natural high what is our purpose in life and you're so much more likely to find that if you dump you know the drugs and just mm. live and, and enjoy and we've mm. that's what we see in our community there's so many beautiful examples you know people mm. that have got really into mm. yoga and meditation or people that are writing or painting and we get a chance to discover who we really are and sometimes you know we haven't known that for decades mm. So, yeah, I always see it as a two-stage uh, journey. What did I hear the other day? Sober is just not drinking. Mm. Recovery is a different animal. Absolutely. So we have to keep working it. We mm. can never really mm. relax or that little voice might mm. <laughs> come back. <laughs> and it's so important. And, guys, I mean, if you look back at the interviews that I've been doing now, uh, in 150 interviews, most of them are actually not about necessarily the addiction and drinking. Most of them are actually about the reasons why we drink. And that's so important. Whilst recovery is looking towards the future and actually working with little micro habits every day, every hour, every minute to get us to this beautiful, beautiful new life that we so want and deserve. We in that process, need to also deal with the things that were not so nice in our life. And I found that incredibly challenging. Um, I was drinking in order to numb the pain. There was no two ways around that. Uh, at the end, there was certainly no pleasure whatsoever in the drinking. It was numbing the pain. And guys, that is, that is equally something that you learn in community. The, the, the fact that you're actually opening up and speaking to someone uh, can be such a 
beautiful feeling, such a freedom suddenly, because you come out of this darkness, you come out of this, this hiding from shame and guilt, and to deal with the negative emotions is so powerful. It's so beautiful. It hurts yeah. as hell. It hurts when we do it. But then when you actually have put things to bed or dealt with what you could deal with and, and are able to move forward, oh, what a what yeah. a beautiful beautiful thing yeah um, i mean the hardest thing of all i think is to first of all accept that you've got a problem mm -hmm. and then reach out for help and mm -hmm. once you've done that then it's like practical stuff you know mm -hmm. it's it's a matter of finding your people mm -hmm. and doing the work well exactly but you have to accept that you will never be able to drink sensibly normally responsibly <laughs> whatever you want to call it yeah. because we're not like that you know we've crossed a line with our drinking there's no going back there's only going exactly. forwards so accept there's a problem, reach out. The fact that you're watching something like this, I would say, indicates that there might be a problem there. Otherwise, you wouldn't be that interested. <laughs> and fair call. And if that is the case, if you actually accept it in, to yourself right now, then I just want to say welcome. Welcome to our club of fellow travelers who have had enough, who are sick of being sick. And just this kind of transformation that is waiting for you. If you're just willing to, to look at some of the, the people out there and, and follow their guidance, hell, there is a life waiting for you. I mean, just, you know, you know just actually remembering the, the last night to actually get up in the morning. I didn't know that there are sunrises. I didn't know that. That is, you know, most of the time I was comatose still when the sun went up. Uh, nowadays, uh, absolutely, as a photographer, I love to take photos in that uh, in that setting. Here you go. So, bottom line is, there's so much out there. There's so much beautiful things out there. Please, guys, this is this is your future. So, and if Janet's Janet's uh, tribe sober rings a bell with you, then why not get get hold of her? Why not get in touch with her? Janet, how can people find you? Well, we've got a website called tribesober.com. And on there, we've got lots of freebies, you know, if you just want to try us out for a bit. And then the, the membership uh, is just a very affordable monthly subscription. So uh, it's all there. And my podcast is also called Tribe Sober. So um, I interview, it's, I do a recovery story usually, but also interview doctors and experts. So uh, yeah, I'm loving being a podcaster. <laughs> and I was honored to be on the show and she is a lovely, lovely, lovely uh, host. So please just listen in and, and see if there are not a few seats that we can sort of lay down into your head. And who knows what starts growing there and who knows what the new you will be. You know, it is, uh, is, there, is, there is so much waiting for you out there. And so many people that I know that, that, have, have, that are in recovery now and have completely changed their lives. Uh, yeah. And all of them to the better. Is I I am yet to meet someone who is two three years down the line who says, "Damn, I really want to drink again." Um, that's very 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 rare. In the first year, okay, you will your brain will play with you, so there is a relapse rate of eighty percent, and it is what it is. That's part of our disease. So don't beat yourself up only because you have been three three weeks clean and now you had a relapse and now you're listening to that 
listen to me, this relapse is nothing. This is, this is just a message of your body to show you that there's a bit more work to be done and that it's not as easy as you thought. And uh, it's an invitation, it's a message from your body to find out why did that relapse occur? Are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Are these the things that trigger you? Or what's going on? Is there drama that you need to deal with? All these kind of things. It's waiting for you. It's, it's, you can do it. Look at us. If Janet and I can get our shit together, if we can get ourselves sorted, hell, you can, honestly. Honestly, we are not the biggest brain surgeons in the, in the, in the history of, of mankind, okay? So, no, we got our act together, so can you. And, and I so want to invite you onto that journey because it's the most beautiful and exciting and exhilarating journey I've ever been on in my life. There is no roller coaster that is more exciting than my life right now. And Janet will say exactly the same. That's the reason we do podcasts. That's the reason we are here. That's the reason we, we talk to you guys and want to convince you it is so beautiful. So join us, come onto our path and... I hope we see you soon. I hope we hear from you soon and, and see the new you coming out and, and see how you are transforming into this beautiful person. Janet, thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you so much for sharing your passion, for getting you all hot under the collar there. It was good. I love to see that. <laughs> no, that's great. Because we need to, to demystify that and we need to, to bring it out into the open. Only then can we, can we help and be there as a community for each other. No, so uh, I was honored that you were on my show. Thank you so much. Oh, it was a pleasure, Stefan. Thank you Absolutely. for inviting me. And you guys out there, look after yourself. I mean it in the truest meaning of the word. Look after yourself. Bye. Yeah.